con el computer. Okay, shalom, everybody. And I assume more people are coming on. Uh, most of you already on have been in Uman and believe in going to Uman, believe in Rabbi Nachman. But still, we all need a, a reminder and a boost, whatever you want to call it. So, Bezat Hashem, we'll just quickly go over what it is. What is Uman and Uman Rosh Hashanah? Uh, why is it important to go? And should I go? Especially that people still, with such obstacles, even now, people are not going because there's war and they're scared and this and that. I just thought, you know, people were there just for Shabbos. Of Chaim Kramer and his wife were there for Shabbos now. Well, you know, older people being there. It depends on your on your level of Amunah. But let's go step by step. We'll go into that at the end of the class. First of all, what is Uman? What is Uman Rosh Hashanah? Uman, as you know, is the burial place of Rabbi Nachman. Rabbeinu, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. It's located in midpoint between Kiev and Odessa. He chose that place to be buried. And on his last Rosh Hashanah, in the year 1810, he made exclamations and statements that nobody should be missing and nothing is greater than his Rosh Hashanah. And he said all these statements, you know, right before the Chag, so that like there's not enough time for more people to come. It was already given at a time as if he was saying that this is going to continue. Whether I'm here physically in the flesh, in the blood or not, it's going to continue. That's how Rav Nosan, that's one of the things Rav Nosan understood as why this gathering should take place even after Rabbi Nachman's passing. So going back, he passed away there at Uman. He chose that place. He said himself, it would be good kan tov lishkav in Hebrew. He said in Yiddish, obviously. But he said, here is a good place to lie down. Amongst the martyrs, there was approximately 30,000 Jewish martyrs who were killed in Uman in a big major pogrom uh, incited by uh, a Cossack named Ivan Gunta in collaboration with the Polish mayor of the city. At the time, Uman belonged under the Polish uh, sovereignty. It was then taken by Russia. Ukraine always never had in the, in, in, in an independent independence, never. They were always annexed by or the Polish, Austrian, Russian, <laughs> and even till today, they still want to take them. They don't, it's hard for them to be on their own. They need support. That's what Ukraine also translates, by the way, as like a border, borderline. That's what it means, the border, the gvul in Hebrew. So in, in the, in the uh, a few, two years before Binachman was born, or four years, this pogrom took place, I think in 1782, if I'm correct, or 1778, it took place in Uman, and about 30,000 Jews were killed. Jews also came from surrounding villages and cities because Uman at the time had a very strong fortress. It was a fortified city, a garrison city. There was like an, an, arm, an armed city, believe it or not. So many Jews fled there to hide within the walls of, of Uman, which their little villages didn't have. Many Jews were killed outside, but the thing was so many Jews came and became concentrated in, in Uman. So when Gunta came in, with his Cossack army and his Polish renegades that they joined together. So they killed in total, it took about three days in the month of Tammuz in that year. I think, again, 1778, 1782, makes more sense, 1778. Even, even earlier, maybe 1760. And after, after double check, please forgive me of the dates. So uh, they came and they murdered about 30,000 Jews in a very bad way. 
and the children were killed last. What they did is they separated the parents from their children and they let the parents have a very slow death. They cut off their arms and legs in front of the children. They erected a canopy with a cross underneath it and they told the children, if you bow down to this cross, you'll be spared this type of death. And if you don't refuse, you also will be killed like that. So the kids, it was a big Kiddush Hashem. Even Rabbi Nachman pointed it out that it was a big Kiddush Hashem that not even a single child accepted. You know, a child that had like a brain already, a modicum of emunah and Yiddishkeit, knowing that this is wrong. And you would think they would panic to see their parents being caught, mutilated and dying slowly in front of them. But no, not, not one single child even committed to, to idolatry. It was a big, big Big Kiddush Hashem. In fact, Rabbi Nachman is buried where these cho these children were uh, buried together. The bodies of the children were, bu were buried together and Rabbi Nachman is located in the cemetery, his body, where his burial spot is. It's literally next to the, the children. How, did, how do we know that? Because in 1997, two guys from Nanach, they tried to dig open Rabbi Nachman's grave. So on the way to dig in the grave, all, they, they took out all the bones and the bones were of little baby children, young kids. Four, five, six, seven. Okay, so that's how we know Rabbi Nachman is buried next to the children. Also, orally was given over that that's how it was. So he wanted to be buried there. He said there was a great, great sanctification of God's name, but that's obviously like one reason. You know, he had big a big vision Rabbi Nachman to be buried in Uman. Uman being a place also of major impurity. It was, a, it was a place of a lot of brothels, a lot of immorality, prostitution, and also the secular Judaism in the Ukraine was centered in Uman. The biggest leaders of the Maskilim, the enlightened movement in the Ukraine, in Russia, were living in Uman. Each of them, we're talking about Moshe Landau, Heikel Horvitz, and uh, Hirschbeer Horvitz, each received a golden sword from the, 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 the Tsar of Russia as a token of appreciation of their great, great knowledge. They were looked upon very highly by the Tsar of Russia, okay, at the time. So they were centered in Uman. And one of the first secular Jewish day schools of forced secular education was opened in Uman in the 1820s, okay? And Rabbi Nachman himself worked to try to chip at the wall made by these secular enlightened Jews, Maskilim, and he developed a very strong connection with them because they admired his wisdom. They were so impressed how smart and wise Rabbi Nachman was. They even said, Hirsch Bear, he proclaimed that if Rabbi Nachman would have lived longer, I would have done complete tshuva and repented totally. It didn't happen. He passed away early. But Hirsch Bear, these were people that were fully educated in the Torah, and yet went against it. These were these weren't regular people who didn't know about the Torah. They came from houses where they learned Torah. They grew up in the Torah education, and they were very fluent in the Torah. And yet, they used the Torah to show that today it doesn't apply chasse shalom, and that's what they went off. They had this whole svara. They were so deep that that's why it was so hard to convince them and to work on them because they were so not not balanced and 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 based on uh, on emuna but rather on the intellect which is an example of someone who goes with just sechel intellect without emuna can easily go off the path easily he can make convolutions and distortions etc okay so Rabbi Nachman worked very hard to be with them Hirschberg by the way was so smart 
and so f fluent in the Torah that Rabbi Nachman's last lesson that he gave on Rosh Hashanah in the year 1810, so the, there were hundreds of Hasidim who came from all over the Ukraine to be with Rabbi Nachman for that last Rosh Hashanah in Uman, and Hirschberg, who, who lived in Uman, who recently became very close. Rabbi Nachman was just in Uman, not even for a few months. He arrived on the 5th of ER. So Kanda, that's ER, Sivan, Tammuz, Av, Elul, and now Rosh Hashanah. So five months he was in Uman. And fine, he, he met Hirschber and the Maskilim a few years earlier. And they wanted him to come to live in Uman. But but th those five months made Hirschber really connected to the Rebbe, to Rabbi Nachman. And he was one of the people listening to the lesson. Rabbi Nachman, you can imagine, he was dying from tuberculosis. He could hardly talk. He was weak, very weak and fragile and frail. And Rabbi Nelson writes, it, was, it seemed impossible how Rabbi Nachman would finish giving over the lesson. But he did it in four hours. Four hours, Rabbi Nachman was dying. And he gave over his last lesson, lesson number eight of part two of Likutei Moran. And Hirschber was able to listen very clearly because everybody was scared to push on him. You know Hasidim are when they they start crowding around, they start pushing, and, and Rav Nosson says the crush on that last Rosh Hashanah was so big. So many people came, and there was so much noise, and there was so much like heat. There wasn't room in the house that Rabbi Nachman was talking in, so people were fainting even from the heat and the, the pressure, whatever. Rav Nosson says this, it never was like that. Never on Rosh Hashanah they have this problem. All of a sudden, boom, this crazy thing. Like people were one on top of another. Rav Nosson said, I have no idea where my body was, but my ears were by the Rebbe. And still he couldn't hear everything Rabbi Nachman was saying. So he had to go over the lesson with this Hirsch bear. Okay, just to show you where this Hirsch bear was. Hirsch bear became, he fled with because of um, failure in bankruptcy and, and, and you know failure in, in money scandals of the government. So he fled to England. He became a professor of Hebraica, in Cambridge College University. He changed his name from Hirschbeer Horvitz to Herman Bernard. There's even a famous picture of him. <laughs> he looks like Johnny Cash. <laughs> I'm sorry to say that, but that's the truth. You see his painting. They made a painting of him. And um, he passed away in Cambridge. He passed away with the Rebbe on his lips. His kids, he maintained a, 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 a writing, um, a connection through mail, through letters with Rav Nachman Tulchiner, a student of Rav Nassin, and the, the children wrote, when he passed away, this Hirsch Berhorvitz, the children wrote to Rav Nachman Tulchiner how he passed away. They said he passed away with the Rebbe on his lips, even though he was a kofer and he was a secular and was an, an a, 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 technically atheist, but before he passed away, he said, the Rebbe, the Rebbe, okay? So these are like a few things that happened to Rabbi Nachman before he passed away, and he indicated that from Uman, with, with the the weirdness of the city. Also, I heard, heard once that in, in Ukrainian, the word for Uman is like a normal Ukrainian word. Bratslav, Berdichev, Teplik, Nemirov, Gaisin. These are in Ukrainian dialect. They make sense, these names. Latipolia, Medvedivke, Tulchin, Cherin, Kriminchag, Kiev. Okay, all these names. Odessa. These are names that are common in the Ukrainian dialect. Uman, it sticks out. It's so funny. Uman is like Uman Emuna. It's like Amon Uman. This word appears in the Torah many, many times. Okay? So the whole thing of Uman is so rare. It sticks out. Plus what happened in the city and the history, Rabbi Nachman indicated from here, he's going to work on 
rectification. He said to his followers that I'm leaving before you this world. You have nothing to fear. If you left before me, then there will be a hard time to struggle to try to help your neshamot. But seeing that I'm leaving before you, you have nothing to fear. And Rav Nosen helps and explains the, these, these statements that from there, from Uman, Rabbi Nachman can work on rectifying the entire world. And it, there's a, a, a comparison to like Moshe Rabbeinu being buried outside of the Holy Land on Mount Nevo in the land of Jordan today, right? In the plains of Moab, Arvot Moab, Har Nevo. Why was he buried there? One of the reasons given is that he's Mul Beit Peor, that he's facing this very, very evil witchcraft, sorcery, idolatry called Beit Peor, Beit Peor. And every time this evil would rise up, Moshe Rabbeinu would be able to shut it up and to quiet it down. So too, Rabbi Nachman is buried in Uman from there to help deal fighting on and battling it. You can see on a spiritual level, the atheistic attacks on Judaism, on the world, on the, on the, on the, on the Jewish nation. Even though there's many setbacks, many failures, millions and millions since the past two, three hundred years since the reform of Judaism has started, still, we're still here. There are still Jews with, with bearded pace. According to, based on everything we've gone through as a nation, the Holocaust, the pogroms, the Inquisition, all the terrible things, and the assimilation just going up, technically, according to rationale, there should be nothing left of the Jewish people. We should be extinct by now or finished. And yet, there are yeshivot, there are religious people keeping Shabbos, keeping kosher, emuna, tehillim, books are being printed like crazy in all the languages. What happened? It's a miracle. We can only blame, like the Midrash says, the merit and the prayers of the tzaddikim who have passed on. Rav Nosen brings this beautiful midrash in the beginning of his edition of the Tikkun Akali, explaining the Tikkun Akali. Rav Nosen brings this down of how it's the, it's the prayers of the tzaddikim who have passed on that Am Yisrael rely upon, like a vineyard. In a vineyard, you have the grapes, the fresh grapes hanging on. You can't have a vineyard on the ground because it won't properly produce fruit. You have to lift up the, the vines of the vineyard in order for them to produce fruit. So what do they do? They take the old dead branches of the vineyard, of the old old trees, branches that are not usable, and they stick them in the earth to hold up the new vineyard, the new grapes, the new vines, producing fresh, good grapes. So too, the Midrash says, the Jewish people are alive. That's like the living grapes, if you want to say are dependent on the dead sticks that the tzaddikim who passed on. They're holding us up. The Midrash brings this analogy. That Am Yisrael is being held up by the prayers and the merit of the tzaddikim who passed on. That's why it's such a big thing to daven by graves of tzaddikim. You're not, God forbid, at all davening to them. Chas shalom. We've said this many, many times. We've gone through this many times. It's the Gemara and Sota with the famous story Rashi brings of Kalev going to the graves of Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Sarah, Rivka, and Leah, and, and the Gemara says this. It's a Gemara, it's not a Hasidish word. Avotai, Avotai, Avram Yitzhak, Yaakov, Ha'atiru Badi, Shelo Epol Ba'atzat HaMeraglim. My forefathers, Davin for me. The Gemara says this. Kalev said to Avram, he's talking to them, because Tzadikim are always alive. They're always to be found by their graves. A spark of the tzaddikim, of their lower their lower soul. The nefesh is always by the tzaddikim, uh, the, the graves. That's why it's a big thing to go to graves of tzaddikim, because they've never died. There's still a part of them which is by the grave for the sake and the purpose of helping Am Yisrael in need, like we are today. 
That's why Moshe Rabbeinu's grave was hidden. Because Moshe Rabbeinu is such a caliber that whenever anybody would come to daven to his grave, they would be answered immediately. So in order that people should not begin to take advantage of that, Hashem purposely hid up Moshe Rabbeinu's grave so people couldn't know where it is. Because they, whenever they get smacked on the face, they go, mommy, mommy, they would go running to Moshe Rabbeinu's kever. And even without doing the required tshuva, they would get answered immediately. But here now, that forcing people to go to graves of tzaddikim, pouring out their hearts. So then it's coupled with, with tircha, with, with uh, pain and, and endurance. That's why it's so difficult to go to graves of tzaddikim. That's why it's especially difficult to make it to Rabbi Nachman. Why people have so many obstacles because your prayers there go a long way, a very long way. Okay. So going back, I went off a lot. I know Rabbi Nachman was buried there. And to, to activate, like Revelation explains, the rectification for the entire world, living and dead. It's a big thing. It's a place where the Jews from the Holy Land and the Jews from the diaspora meet together as one in order to receive the light of this awesome tzaddik, who like Rav Nossin explains in Likut Arachot, that ideally such tzaddikim of such a level should be buried in the Holy Land. Eretz Yisrael is for the Jewish people. It's called Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel, because it is the land of Israel, us, the Jewish people. So the, the, the most perfect Jews and representatives of the Jewish people, being the tzaddikim, logically should be buried in the Holy Land. In other words, they should even have strived in their lifetime to make it to live and settle in the Holy Land in order to be buried there. Yet we find many tzaddikim who agreed to go back, agreed to be in the diaspora, or from heaven they forced them, like the Baal Shem Tov, forced them to be in the diaspora in order to do something similar to Moshe Rabbeinu being buried face to Beit Peor in, 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 in the diaspora to help rectify the souls which are so trapped in evil in the domain of the diaspora, which is very impure in a sense, to be able to connect to them, lift them up, and bring them out. So this, in a nutshell, is Uman. Rabbi Nachman chose and wanted to be buried there, and Rav Nossin writes clearly in his biography called Yemei Mohanat, where he describes his also his connection to Rabbi Nachman. He writes to Rav Nossin clearly, Kisham hamakom muhan lo misheshet yemei bereshit. In Uman, the place for Rabbi Nachman's resting place was already set aside for him from the six days of creation. That's what Rav Nossin writes. We take very, very seriously Rav Nossin and everything he says because Rabbi Nachman himself said, Rabbi Nachman himself said, nobody understands me except for Rav Nossin and Rav Naftali a little. They Some say the little goes only on Rav Naftali, but Rav Nossin understands Rabbi Nachman better than anybody else. So if that's the case, I have to, yes, take into consideration how Rav Nossin explains Rabbi Nachman, which is the whole rest of movement today that you have. It's the books, the chassidim, everything that we have, the old traditions, this whole thing called rest of today is thanks to this Rav Nossin. And Rav Nossin saw to it, he understood that the whole continuity of Rabbi Nachman's light is dependent on this gathering, this kibbutz, this gathering in Uman for Rosh Hashanah. Because Rabbi Nachman, when he passed away, said, nothing's greater to be by me for, than Rosh Hashanah. The question is now, why? What's so special about Rosh Hashanah? Why not Yom Kippur? Why not Sukkot? Why not Chanukah? Why not Tubishvat? Why not Purim? Purim is a nice time. You know, why not Pesach? Why Rosh Hashanah? Why not a regular day? And a regular Shabbat during the year, maybe Shabbat Nachamu. Nachamu is like Nachman, you know, I would think. Eh. Why Rosh Hashanah? What's so important that Rabbi Nachman stressed? He said... 
everyone has to be by me. Call, his words in, in more precise are, anybody who already listens to Rabbi Nachman, who has already been changed by his teachings, who takes to heart his teachings, should be by me. Ish bal yadar or yadar. There's two pronunciations of that word. No one should be missing. Watch no ones. No one of the people who take seriously Rabbi Nachman's teachings. I was this morning walking from my home to the to Daven in the Breslov Shul in Me'asharim. And I passed by a Litvish guy who was learning in the Mir Yeshiva who had some type of connection to Breslov a little. He came to Daven and he joined Shabbos in Meron. And we spoke about Rabbi Nachman. He got interested. You know, I said, you know, I and he keeps on saying hi to me. Like, I don't notice him, but he comes up, shalom and everything. It's nice to be courtesy, but he has a respect. So I say to him, you know, what about Uman Rosh Hashanah? And he goes, Nah. Like that, you understand? Know, nah. I understand. I mean, Brestov didn't change his life. He's totally sold on the yeshiva world, which I can understand. Which technically is something very good to be in a kollel, learning Torah, learning Gemara, going into the world of Gemara. It hasn't touched his life. What can you do? Fine, I understand that. But many of us who have come to Brestov is because we were looking, or more more specific, we were screaming for help. Help me! We're like drowning. And asking Hashem, send me some something, send some miracle. And the, and the lifesaver was no other than Rabbi Nachman and his teachings. So we've been touched by his teachings. The same person who said these amazing teachers which have changed us, if it's Tikkun Aklali, if it's Hidboredut, if it's words of encouragement, if it's his lessons in the Kutir Moran, or of Nostan's prayers, how he develops them. Many people have different handles what brought them to, and connected Rabbi Nachman. I remember hearing Eli Wiesel of less memory, remember? He said by him, the stories, Rabbi Nachman's stories and his journey to the Holy Land, that's what really got him. Yeah, many, everyone has a different reason, a reason what brought him to, to Rabbi Nachman's teachings. But the thing is, the same person who said these teachings which changed your life, which have helped you, that same mouth also said to be by Rosh Hashanah. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Oh, I'm breastfed, but up to here. Well, come on. Who are you fooling? you're already sold into the teachings so you go all the way because if, if you don't go all your way you're just fooling yourself see yeah I like breast of Rabbi Nachman but you know like in and out, I like touching it I like tasting you know like from the smorgasbord tasting all the all the all the types of nice insights of the Torah world which is nice but you're not sold on breast of so for sure we don't expect you to come to Uman Rosh Hashanah who do we expect to come to Uman Rosh Hashanah somebody who's sold on Rabbi Nachman someone who says Rabbi Nachman I'm all yours you changed my life. Your teachings changed my life. They saved my life. I'm all yours. That's it. I have now put my brain on the side. Whatever you, your teachings, your guidelines tell me to do, I'm going to do. Emuna, no questions, no questions. I accept now Emuna. This is Uman Rosh Hashanah for that type of person. The one who has that Emuna, and I'm convinced this is the address man. This is it. I found I found my home. I'm coming home, Hashem. I'm homecoming now. I'm now back on place. I'm like I've never was in my life. Someone whose teachings penetrate me so much, give me consolation. Somebody understands what I'm going through, can relate to all my ups and downs. And even after all the ups and downs, to give me still the direction in life, unbelievable. Unbelievable. And he's saying, the one thing I request that you have to do, it's not just the one, there's a few things, but the one thing that's once a year is you have to make that sacrifice to be by me for Bin Ahmed. By, by, by me for Shoshana. On his last Rosh Hashanah in Uman, 
he took very he was very he took to heart that two of two followers of his were not by him. One was Rav Aaron, the Rav of Breslov, the halachic Rav of Breslov, was a follower of, of Rabbi Nachman. That the, the, he came like a month early to Uman, asking Rabbi Nachman, "What should I do? I'm here. I'm here for Shoshana." And the the, the, the community of of Breslov were not Breslov or Chasidim. They said to Rabbi Nachman, "You left us, you know, four five months earlier on the fifth of ER. You went to Uman, and now you're, you you took our Rav, the Rabbi of the, of our of community." So who's left with us? Who's going to guard the community? So Rabbi Nachman said to Rav Aaron, they're right. So Rav Aaron says, okay, so I have to go back. And then Rabbi Nachman said to him, but I can't imagine you not being by me for Rosh Hashanah. So he says, so I'll stay. He said, but they're right. So I'll go. But I, I need you. I, I, I can't be without you. So I'll stay. And he went back and forth, ping pong, ping pong. Until the end, the, the Rav Aaron, the Rav of Breslov went back. And what's funny is, is when he was traveling back, from Uman to Breslev, Rav Nos and Rav Naftali were on that same route coming from Nemirov, or Nemirov and they passed that same route and they saw Rav Aaron going in the opposite direction, away from Uman. He said, what, what's going on? And they told, he told them the story and they said to him, or they said to each other, even if Rabbi Nachman were to chase us with a broom and a stick, we wouldn't leave him for Rosh Hashanah because they knew that even if he would say to someone, don't be by me, you didn't have to listen to him. He said that once. It's marked down. You can see a whole chapter in the book Tzadik, Chaim Oran, where Rav Nosen writes, many people asked Rabbi Nachman what to do. They asked him, should I, I have this I have this problem at home? I have a Shalom Bayit issue and a health issue and Parnasa. Rabbi Nachman himself with other people, don't, so don't come. But he said, but you said to come. I said, don't come. And I don't want to talk about it anymore. And Rav Nosen says, we were there standing hearing all this. And we knew that, you know, when it comes to this matter, there's the truth and the real truth. He said already that this is so important. So why are you asking? Why are you putting your foot in your mouth? And if, if you know he said to be by him, and then you ask him, oh, so don't come. And he said, but yeah, no, no, I said, don't come, don't come. Why did you ask? You just make things work for yourself. He says, Rabbi Nachman says in, in Sikhot Aran, that everything a true tzaddik tells you to do, you must listen, except for one thing he says, that if he tells you not to be buying for Rosh Hashanah, <laughs> that you don't have to listen. That's an exception. Because again, there's the real truth. But the Torah says, it is said, Chachamim say, don't be square-headed. Even in Judaism, you know, you have people, they're very square. Oh, it's like this. Don't be rigid. Judaism is like a square within a circle. You're square. Okay, the Torah halacha is very structured, but don't forget it's within Imuna. What does that mean? You have to, halacha is halacha, no problem. But you have to know, you know, when there's the green light, when there's a red light, and don't be stupid. In other words, use common sense. We're not saying God forbid to go against halacha. No one's saying that. But you have to know where to apply. Okay. Going to, to Rabbi Nachman for Shana is not written anywhere in the Shulchan Aruch. <laughs> so you have no problem of going against Shulchan Aruch by yes going or not going. This is something, it's an initiative. It's like in the category, Rav Nosson writes, of what it says in the Gemara, and Masech Shabbat, of Moshe Rabbeinu, Hosif Yom Mida'ato, that Hashem left up to Moshe Rabbeinu, the actual date of receiving the Torah in Har Sinai. We know it's the 6th of Sivan, and the Gemara says that he added one day, because the way Hashem presented it to him made it sound it could be on the 5th of Sivan, it could be on the 6th. So, Hosif Yom Midato, on his own initiative. 
So that means in every generation, there's a test. Rabbi Nosson writes, says of tzaddikim, they give you guidelines. You can follow them or not. It's up to you. But it's going to be a major nafkamina, a major difference in life if you make the right move or not. <laughs> it's not now following halacha. Halacha, you're okay. It's something now, in a sense, beyond halacha, which is now your commitment to finding tzaddikim, being connected to them. So going back, this is the idea of Rosh Hashanah. This is one thing. He's, Rabbi Nachman made such a noise of Rosh Hashanah. Rav Nosin and Rabbi Nachman himself in the Kutimran, they do give us a few reasons why Rosh Hashanah. One of the most clearest reasons given is Rosh Hashanah is the head Rosh of the year. So if you have the head in the right place, automatically the rest of the year will be in the right place. If you start the year on the right footing, so then you, ha you have better chances, if not fully guaranteed chances, good chances of having a great year. Okay? Rav Nassim says an amazing explanation. He says like this, that on Rosh Hashanah, as we all know, three books are open. The books of the righteous, the books of the people in between, and the books of the wicked. The tzaddikim are inscribed immediately to life, to have a, life, a year of life. The wicked are inscribed to death, if it's a spiritual death or a physical death. And the in-between people are given until Yom Kippur. That's the 10 days of tshuva for them to repent until Yom Kippur. So then Rav Nosen writes, however, someone who in himself, in of himself, he's a rasha, he's a real bad guy. But he shows and illustrates even a modicum, a minimal amount of faith in tzaddikim. How does he show that? By traveling to be by tzaddikim on Rosh Hashanah. So by him showing his faith in the tzaddikim, by traveling to be by them for Rosh Hashanah, he shows that he has faith in these tzaddikim. So even though on his own, in of himself, he's a wicked person, because he's come to be a tzaddik, look at this, Rav Nosson says, unbelievable. That Rasha, even though he's a wicked person, he doesn't deserve it. He's inscribed immediately for life with the tzaddikim. He's inscribed with the tzaddikim. Isn't that crazy? You have like a, so what, you can do bad and go? <laughs> Rabbi Nachman doesn't work like that, by the way. If someone just touches him with his pinky, Rabbi Nachman said, anyone who just touches me, I won't ever leave that person alone until he's totally rectified. That's it. Once you're zapped and you touch Breslev, your life has changed now. Can't go back. Oh, let me go back to my crazy life, my just nobody life. It's finished. Once you connected to him, you made this pact by coming to him, whether it's to say the Tikkun Aklali, to go to his grave, to be by Rosh Hashanah, he's now committed to be, to be there for you no matter what. Even if you don't want any more, too late, too bad. This tzaddik will always be there for you and send constant reminders of you to come back to Hashem. Even if a person tries the worst things, is he's now like a yo-yo. You're connected with the string. As low as your yo-yo yo -yo goes down, <laughs> there's the string of the tzaddik holding you up to bring you back up. Whoop! Going back down and up. That's it. That's why it's such a big investment to come to be by this tzaddik, especially with his statements that he made of coming to be by him, to also saying the Tikkun Akali by his grave, his promise to pull that person out of Gehenim no matter what, and his great stress, the, 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 the paramount importance he placed on being by him for Rosh Hashanah. So the answer is that why should I go? We just said why should I go? Because it's it's going to help you in the long run. You're no, you're no longer alone. 
in your Judaism, in your Torah observance, you can be alone. But if you have a tzaddik as a backbone, as someone like as I'm here, like the, the expression is, I'll guard your back. The tzaddik is guarding your back. He's watching your back. Sorry, he's watching your back. So you're no longer alone in life, even though you feel the challenges are that you're alone. Yes, but you have a tzaddik. Like lahavdil, I'm sorry to be this in this comparison. It's like Obi Wan Kenobi telling Luke, "Use the force, Luke." Reminding him, "Use the force. I've given you the weapons. Use the force." Okay. We have a tzaddik who sends you subconscious messages because you learned already, you absorbed and everything. You have an amount that pushed you to come to be an uman. You have something that, that pushed you to make a move, an incentive. So with that, he uses to get at you always to send your reminders that you don't just do total yehush. And like Rav Lassen writes in his letters, if you, as a follower of, of Rabbi Nachman, are going through what you're going through, okay, and it's crazy, but you're still holding on, just imagine what other people are going through. <laughs> what other people are going through? They don't even talk about it. Can you imagine what other people are going through, what downs they have, what crazy things, and they have no one to rely upon? The Rebbe's don't make statements like Rabbi Nachman did about himself. Sorry. Sorry, Rabbi Nachman stuck out to be the winner. He won the Academy Award of the greatest nominee of the Tzaddik who was able to express his greatness and his power more than anyone else. We don't find statements about any tzaddik talking about his greatness like Rabbi Nachman. You don't find that even about Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai in the Zohar, not the Arizal, not the Baal Shem Tov, not Moshe Rabbeinu. Look at what Rabbi Nachman said about himself. It's crazy. In the book, Tzachayim Moharan, Tzaddik, and a little bit in the book, Rabbi Nachman's stories, uh, Rabbi Nachman's wisdom, sorry. So you have a tzaddik to rely upon. This idea of going to be by him for Shoshana. So now, why should I, why should I go? It's very simple. This is why you should go. It's very simple. You have, it's it's an investment. A Rosh Hashanah lost by Rabbi Nachman is an eternal loss. It's not just, oh, I lost out that year. It's lost out forever. When Rav Nossin, in his in his trip back from the Holy Land, he was pushing so much to make it to be in Uman for Rosh Hashanah. But the delays were crazy. He was of a whole group of people and he couldn't just separate like that. So they saw they weren't making it. In Istanbul, they got to Istanbul on on Yom Tov, on Sukkot. That's where he was still. His original, original, he, missed a, he missed a boat because of the delay of the people that he was with. If he would have got that ship, he would have been had enough time to make it to be Uman Hashana. It didn't work out. But he was working on it and it was an eternal loss. Okay? Rav Nossin himself lost his first wife about a month before Shoshana. And his new fresh children were orphans, they were little kids, and they needed someone to be there for them. And he was torn apart. Even though he can always get nurses and helps and neighbors and family to take care of his kids but he felt so torn apart of the fresh loss of his children not to be for them with them for Shoshana which normally they had the mother with them he decided to go to Uman even though it meant leaving his little baby children behind again he didn't leave them alone he didn't like just lock the door okay you go be on your he left them with help obviously we're not talking about crazy people but he knew he weighed for himself that the eternal benefits of being by Rabbi Nachman for Rosh Hashanah outweighs any tiny loss. To make up for that, he'll be there for Yom Kippur, he'll be there for Sukkot. Okay, it's made up. It's not the end of the world. You have many people today, they suffer like crazy. How could you leave us Rosh Hashanah? How could you leave Rosh Hashanah? But I'm going to be with you Yom Kippur. I'm with you for Sukkot. No, I'm Rosh Hashanah. But I'm Rosh Hashanah by the greatest lawyer in the world. I'm going to the greatest lawyer. I'm going to be by a lawyer. He's going to defend my case. Even though I don't, you, my, my father, my father-in-law, my Rosh Hashiva, you're going to defend my case? 
Are you going to defend my case on Rosh Hashanah? Can you make a statement like Rabbi Nachman did? Again, again, you, you try to these arguments, doesn't help. Even after all the arguments you can think of, it doesn't help. Person has to jump in. Because a person has to jump in, no one can tell you to go. Not even me now. You're going to ask me now, guys, I can't come, I can't afford it. I can't tell you to go. <laughs> Rabbi Nachman already said the whole thing. To come and then Mesir Nefesh, it's going to require Mesir Nefesh. But now, if you have questions and this, but I, I can't leave the country and I have a problem with my passport and my family and I'm sick and I can't go on the plane. So what are we going to tell you? <laughs> we're going to tell you to go? No one's going to tell you to go. If you, if you if now you say you can't. I'm not going to say if you can't, you can't. But it's something that requires Mesir Nefesh, which means what? You have to make the initiative. No one, not even a breast liver institute or institution or whatever can tell you you have to go. You make sure you're there. No, we can't do that. Rabbi Nachman already wrote that. It's written down. And if after you're still asking the questions and there's something wrong in your head, I, I don't know what to tell you. But the thing is, it's Misirat Nefesh. No one can tell you to go buy tickets. Yeah, come, come with us. Come, you can have a great time and everything. I can't. The person's going through what he's going through. He has to make the initiative. You have to make the move. Based on what? Again, a simple calculation. If Rabbi Nachman is the one who changed your life more than anybody else, you've read all the art school books, all the Feldheim, all the stories of the Gdole Israel, and the one that's really talking to you is Rabbi Nachman. So listen, if, if now that's the address, then make a commitment. No, I'm scared to make a commitment. <laughs> what, what do you see? You want to stay outside or do you want to advance in life? What, what do you want? You want to stay in limbo? You want to advance? Eventually, you're going to have to make that move. You can't just say, okay, I'm parv. And you tries to be like, you know, Switzerland, you know, the parv, the, the neutral countries. Come on. It doesn't work. It works up to a certain time. After that, that's it. You have to be an adult, a good adult, and make the decision. If this is your address, then this is your address. And it requires everything that it requires. Mizat Hashem. Things are difficult. Understand that. But I eventually have to get to that. Rabbi Nachman's requirement of the halacha to get up at midnight. Okay? How many of us don't do that? We don't get up at midnight. But I don't now put an X on it saying, well, it's not for me. No. I say, I'm having ups. I want to get to that. And eventually, I'm going to get to that. I'm stuck now. An hour, it would do it. An hour, 60 minutes. Okay. Oh, I can only do six, seven minutes, eight minutes, 10 minutes. I can't do an hour. Oh, come on. What do you want? So don't say it's not for you. I want to get there. I want to get there. Right now, how many obstacles? I'm not going to know it's not for me. It must not be for me if it's such so crazy obstacles. Same thing with Rosh Hashanah. You have obstacles. You say, well, it's not for me to other people. You know, I'm here by my local shul. They need me for the shofar and whatever. You find excuses. You want to find excuses? No problem. You can find excuses. But if it's the real truth, <laughs> for the emet lamito, only you can make that decision. Only you can jump in. No one can force you. Okay, this is the thing. Many people, again, today, people are, I see people listening even. They're not fully-fledged breast They're going to have many questions. How could you go there? It's wartime. Okay, this class is not for you. I'm sorry. This class is for people who are committed to Rabbi Nachman's teachings, who have been changed to Rabbi Nachman's teachings. This class is for you. If you someone coming from outside, this class for sure is not for you. Sorry. <laughs> We're talking to the wall. If you're, walk, you're watching this class, I assume it's because you've discovered Rabbi Nachman's teachings. They made a change in your life. So that's who, that's who we're talking to. So I think we covered everything. That me and all my friends, we should all make it to be in Uman Rosh Hashanah this year. And we truly believe also that the more people come to be by a tzaddik, it gives him that power. He has now power to, to mitigate. Every extra person who comes, Rabbi Nachman talks about this in lesson number eight, part two. 
of the factorial multiplication that takes place when more and more Jews gather together for davening, which is what we do, by the way, in Rosh Hashanah and Uman. What are we doing together? We're davening, even though it's right now impossible to have, you know, 50,000 people in one shul. But the fact that we're together in the city and the shuls all connected to be by this tzaddik, they're all there for the same four letters, Nun Chet, Mem Nun, Nachman, Rabbi Nachman. They're all there for the same reason. So the prayers of the city and the reason why people came give strength to the tzaddik even after his passing. Okay? It's a normal davening. There's no idolatry here. It's a normal shul, a normal high holiday davening. Fine, there's the rest of repertoire and the nigunim of the prayers. If it's by the chassidim, the sfardim have the, the same, the standard nusach, whatever. And in, in Uman, they always add something special. If it's hand clapping, or the Sfardim at Anenu Biskuti Rabbi Nachman, whatever, you know, there's all there's a special Sfardic uh, uh, breast of uh, twist when it comes to the Uman Rosh Hashanah experience by anyone on all the davening levels and, and, and categories. So this is the, the thing. We're hoping that more and more people will come. The corona pushed back so badly, so badly, making the like a, a type of retreat. And now it's like as if starting again to build up. And again, the, the threat and the fear of the war and bombs and missiles, that's up to you. If now you allow the media to control your input and your view of the world, for sure you're scared. What do you want? The best thing is always just to cut the media. And anyways, now before Shoshana, there's so much to do. Rabbi Nachman's diet of Elul, the Elul devotions, some people started already right after Tisha B'Av of reciting the Tikkun Zohar, extra Tehillim, reading the whole Tanakh, the Bible. And Rav Nosen says also reading all Rabbi Nachman's books, trying to finish them by Rosh Hashanah. Can you do that? Are you doing that? Did you start? No, you have time to watch the news, like two, three hours and waste time on Facebook. But you know, there's so much to read out there. There's so much Torah information as a preparation for your Rosh Hashanah, for your experience. So, Mezat Hashem, we should have an amazing Rosh Hashanah. And people who believe in Rabbi Nachman's teachings should go. You have excuses and obstacles. What can we tell you? I can't tell you fight obstacles. It's understood on its own that a person has needs Mr. Nefesh for this. But Bezat Hashem, more, more the merrier. And it should be an amazing year for everybody. Thank you for joining. Have an amazing week. And Chodesh Tov, Bezat Hashem. This Chodesh of sadness, of Av, should be transferred from Yagon Vanacha to Sason. Thank you for joining. If you have any questions, personal questions, you can send to me by WhatsApp or by, by email. Thank you very much.